Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hi there, it's this week's Zonal Marking Podcast, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ali Maxwell. Joining me as ever, the deadly duo of Warville and Cox. That is The Athletic's data detective, Tom Warville, and half-space investigator, Michael Cox. Michael, how's it going? Very well, thank you. And yeah, very much looking forward to today's pod, as always. Writing two lines of intro for this podcast is probably the best part of my week at the moment. But I'm looking forward to this episode. I have to admit, before we get into the topic, I want to, to see what you guys have been up to on The Athletic site. And not to be rude, Michael, but from my outsider's perspective... Most weeks, it feels like Tom Warville is working 20 hours a day, contributing to 12 articles for other writers and writing three of his own, while you get to write about whatever pops into your head, squad numbers, or maybe watch some good goals and write about the Pushkas Award every couple of days. But in the last week, you've been on an absolute tear on the site. Bielsa, Puskas Award, Cristiano Ronaldo, Gary Lineker, Mourinho Tactics. You've uh, you've obviously got some big end of year targets to hit, or or potentially just feeling inspired. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean we're, we're encouraged to work on bigger pieces with the Athletic, and uh, yeah, it just so happened that I had a couple of weeks ago where I did well one an interview with Gary Lineker, which is up on the site now, which was always going to come out this week to coincide with his 60th birthday. And the other one is the topic we're discussing today, which was about Cristiano Ronaldo. Wasn't so time sensitive in the end, but uh, yeah, it was in the work. So yeah, I've been, uh, I think I put out six articles in six days, which is probably a record for me. Feet up now. Uh, Tom Warville, busy as ever, I'm assuming, and, and now sporting a very comfy looking space boot, Tom, as your rehab continues. So what can we expect from you on site this week? Yeah, so I've uh, actually got a piece coming later in the week with Phil Hay, uh, which I'm really excited about can't really say too much at the moment but um I guess there's a bit of a clue in the fact that Chelsea are playing Leeds at the weekend and there's a there's a bit of previous between Frank Lampard and uh, Marcelo Bielsa I would like a deep dive into some of the skirmishes between Chelsea and Leeds fans back in the day but I'm not sure if that's necessarily <laughs> your sort of topic of expertise um look all of this stuff is on the athletic site and app and there is, well, probably the best ever offer at the moment. The Black Friday offer will remain throughout this week. It is the offer of a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a month. And if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking, you'll get access to all of Michael and Tom's work and their very, very talented and hardworking colleagues for £1 a month for the year. Absolutely magnificent Black Friday offer from The Athletic. Coxie, you've slightly given the game away already, but tell me what we're talking about today. Yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo, we wanted to take a deep dive into his stats and basically his metrics over the past few years to work out the kind of player he is now. So yeah, that is up on the site already and we're going to discuss discuss around it, some things that maybe didn't make the article and some things we learned while writing it. 
the first rule of the internet. Where there is Messi, there must be Ronaldo. Uh, and regular listeners to the pod will remember the Messi article and deep dive pod from a few months ago. When we did that, Michael, I think you got a tweet calling you or calling us biased just for doing a whole podcast on Messi, which I thought was quite funny. So Ronaldo fans, this one's for you. The article on site is called What Kind of Player is 2020 Cristiano Ronaldo? And it's well worth a read. Tom, we've talked, as I mentioned, about Messi at length. Um, just run me through the idea behind this article, what you guys were hoping to achieve and, and what the process was really, I guess. I'm really interested to know how you guys collaborate for a piece like this. Yes, it was very much, we wanted to do something in a similar vein to the Messi piece and look at the player that Ronaldo's come over the course of his career. The the kind of beauty with the Messi piece that we have we had access to such a great data set of kind of every single one of his games back to his debut in La Liga um, and I think involving some of the Champions League games as well uh, and that was kind of really detailed event data provided by Statsbomb. Now that's publicly available data set. You can go and download that yourself if you're so inclined to, to kind of have a look and have a play around. Um and so, you know, with that piece, we have millions of events to kind of look at and, and try and decipher, okay, what out of this is is relevant? What out of it is interesting? With Ronaldo, it's slightly different because the volume of data just isn't there. So, I mean, in actual fact, Coxie did a lot of the data um, gathering for this piece and I was able to put my feet up for that part. But we, we just kind of had game by game totals, kind of per 90 totals for, for seasons ac- across, you know, shots in the box, shots outside the box and more general and I guess more basic statistics but I still think it proves as a great case study that even with limited data if you're looking to get into football data yourself or or even just trying to think about um, from a performance point of view you don't actually need the super advanced and super fancy stats that we use with the messy piece you can still do a lot with with a little really. Michael it sounds like you were quite proactive here uh, gathering the data as, as Tom mentioned how did you come into this? What were you trying to achieve and how did you go about it? Well, it was a bit different to the Messi piece, I'd say. The, the Messi piece, we knew that Messi had been top of various metrics at various points in his career. And we wanted to find out, you know, how many things he was the best at in the world at and when he became the best at them and when was his peak of all those categories. I think with Ronaldo, it was a little bit more specific. We wanted to find out really what kind of player Ronaldo is at the moment. He has changed his game over the years, of course. I mean, it's... 16 years since he joined Manchester United, uh, which I think was when most of us started watching him regularly. And his game has undergone a couple of very obvious shifts. One was in the, I guess, midway through his time at Manchester United, when he went from a kind of step over merchant into this incredibly ruthless goal scorer. But since then, I, I was interested to know basically when certain things had tailed off in terms of what he did um, and whether he's compensated for that by becoming even better at other things. And I think maybe the numbers didn't necessarily tell us, well, it didn't necessarily tell us what I suspected, which was interesting. Yeah, the, the process with the Ronaldo piece compared to Messi was was quite different. And I mean, I think Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but we kind of had a bit of a change of plan with the Messi piece partway through. I think that you were kind of thinking, let's look at Messi's kind of career in different parts, kind of what we've done with, the, with Ronaldo and kind of segmented up. And my approach was, well, we have all these quote-unquote skills in, in terms of like dribbles and take-ons and, and goals and stuff and we can just essentially find the peaks and find when he was best at each skill with Ronaldo I guess from looking at the data and, and going through it you kind of see that there is the, there's more general trends of how he's changed as a player and it's not so that 
he's peaked as much, but it's more that if you look at the data and you look at the graphs on the site, you will see that there's some very telling trends over time, which which we'll get into. So I think that that definitely helped shape our thinking around what this piece is going to be and, and how we kind of are going to use the data to tell that story. So that kind of exploratory analysis at the start really was 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 quite helpful whereas with the messy piece i think there's a lot more kind of prior planning and thinking about how to attack it just because there was so much data to to work with it can be so valuable can't it to, to zoom out and to look at someone like cristiano ronaldo's career over 16 years because we can get so caught up in the moment and i mean it is truly the most one of the most astonishing sort of examples of player development that 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 i can certainly think of in my lifetime Michael, I suppose that the main aspect of that and the first thing you talk about with Ronaldo is just pure goals and the goal scoring record. And I, and I wonder to what extent his goal scoring record sort of sums up the change in style over his career quite neatly. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with Ronaldo, it sounds silly, but there's almost so many goals. You know, it's just <laughs> it's just constant. I mean, his time at Real Madrid, he ended more than a goal a game over 440 games which is just ridiculous so yeah I mean the rise in goal scoring obviously indicates the first shift at Manchester United brilliantly from 2006 to 2008 he went from nine league goals to 17 league goals to 31 league goals but at Real Madrid like I say it's almost I mean with the exception of one season it's more or less a goal a game for nine years Um, and therefore just looking at the raw numbers I don't think really tell the story because Obviously, he's been able to score in so many different situations. We think of him as a great counter-attacker at one point. We also think of him as someone who's brilliant in the air, probably later in his career. And I guess what we were trying to sh- trying to show was, or trying to investigate, I should say, was was when he stopped doing certain things and started doing other things. And whether that's been a kind of gradual shift from one type of player to the other. And yeah, I mean, to kind of uh, almost give the game away, I expected what we were going to see was Ronaldo becoming increasingly a number nine and that process continuing um, after he joined Juventus in, in 2018 because that's the kind of player he had become at Real Madrid. I think what we saw in various metrics, which I think is maybe the interesting thing, is he's actually gone slightly the other way. He's become a bit more of an all-rounder. He hasn't returned to the Ronaldo of 2000. And- 12, for example, but he's more the Ronaldo of 2015 than the Ronaldo of 2018 or maybe what we expected him to be in 2020. Tom, when you drilled down into the goals themselves, what jumped out to you? What surprised you? I think I very much went in with this image in my head of Ronaldo in 2020 being just a, a beast in the air and, and you know we can all envisage his big leaps and, and being able to just hang in the air for so long when crosses come in and I just thought that would be so much of a greater part of his game than, than it is and I mean the proportion of his shots that he's taken that are headed has, has slowly risen up since uh, his time at Real Madrid up until uh, sorry his time at the start of uh, Real Madrid up until he left I mean when he left one in five of his shots was, was with his head and before that it was one in ten so it's definitely the the proportion was a lot higher but I just had in my mind that he was scoring far more with his head than he actually is I think at Juventus last season he scored two the season before that he scored four and yeah his peak in terms of headed goals was 14-15 where he scored 12 which is a, is a crazy number but he never got above kind of seven in a season aside from that so I think a lot of it was just what were my you know preconceptions around the player he is and then actually just kind of myth-busting those and, and seeing whether they actually held up in, in the data. Regular listeners to the show and followers of data analytics in football will know that there's a there's a complicated relationship 
with data guys and penalties when it comes to prolific goal scorers. Uh, can you remind us, you know, outside of any context of Cristiano Ronaldo, why we hate penalties so much? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. A piece I did last week was on Dominic Zobersly and kind of pushing it out on Twitter again at the weekend. I saw that he'd scored a hat-trick um, and I went to go and watch the highlights on YouTube and saw that his hat-trick consisted of two penalties and slotting into an open goal on a counter-attack. So for me... <laughs> And for probably, like you say, people are more analytically inclined, they wouldn't really see that as a, a true um, hat-trick of sorts. And the main reason with penalties is because they are the easiest, best quality chance that you have on the pitch um, in terms of, you know, you can repeatably get chances of, of that are scored on average 75% of the time, um, unless you're Fulham, of course. So I think that there's an issue there that you can't always rely on getting penalties. There are only a handful of players who potentially have some sort of skill in being able to win penalties at a consistent rate. I remember doing some some research at Opta, and I think Jamie Vardy and Marcus Rashford were a couple there who seemingly were, were able to win fouls in the area at a consistent level season on season. So, you know, penalties aren't really reflective of a team's, uh, of the true quality of a team's attack, and therefore they aren't really reflective of the true quality of a player to get chances for himself. Um, I think Michael's piece on Gary Lineker is a perfect example of this, where strikers who get great quality chances in open play, it's all around good movement, it's all around timing, it's all around thinking of of when and where to go and, and how to execute those moves. And penalties are just such a gimme in those situations and they, you can really boost your goal-scoring tallies without actually having to do any of that really difficult-to-do technical striker um, work. There's your headline, penalties aren't real goals. Um, <laughs> when we're talking about Ronaldo specifically, how much do we have to factor penalties into the equation? I mean, his goal scoring without penalties is still fantastic. Uh, looking back to, to just say, let's say the Premier League since the start of last season, Sergio Aguero tops the Premier League in terms of goals per 90 and he's getting 0.8 goals per 90 and that's without penalties. Ronaldo has kind of topped that in, I'm just going to count it now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons um, at Roma Madrid out of the nine that we have uh, in the data. So, uh, you know, we have a player there who, without penalties, is, is if he was doing that record in the Premier League, he would be obviously the best the best striker that we have there. So I just think it's, you know, it, like Michael said earlier, it's kind of unfathomable the fact you can average a goal a game at this level for so many years. Um, it, it really does show that even without the penalties, he's, he's obviously still a very, very good scorer. The first time I interviewed Neymar, he was 14. He was pretty much famous approaching household name status before he'd even played for the Santos first team. Barca should have been better prepared. They really did not have a contingency plan for if Neymar were to leave. You have the French president, Emmanuel Macron, calling it really good news on the day. Without selling Coutinho for that amount of money, the Liverpool's recent history would be very, very different. But then again, Neymar changed the whole dynamic. I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is Beyond the Headline, Neymar, the transfer that changed the world. Over the next three episodes, we will explore Neymar's 222 million euro move from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain, a transfer that changed the game not only because it more than doubled the world transfer record, but explain how the ripple effects made it arguably the most significant transfer in the history of the game. That's Beyond the Headline, available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via the Athletic app. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. And what about free kicks? He takes a lot of them, and many of them are some of the most memorable goals in his career, such as the goal against Portsmouth when he played for Manchester United and against Spain, of course, for Portugal at the 2018 World Cup. How does he rank as a, as a free kick taker? How successful is he with those? Yeah, that Spain one is really memorable because I remember I was working at Opta at uh, the time and remember he um, he had the free kick and I think he was provided with a, a stat and I think Gary Lineker was talking in the studio about he hasn't scored in his last 50 or so free kick attempts and obviously he goes and, and scores from that one but yeah I mean his conversion rate overall is around 6% and the conversion rate on free kicks in the Premier League is 9.2% so overall he's actually below average but I think the average is kind of a bit misleading because Ronaldo I feel is probably a bit cocky on free kicks and he takes free kicks from, from positions where other teams would you know choose to elect to either pass it short or, or put a ball into the box. So I think that there's you could maybe adjust those with expected goals, but nonetheless, he's obviously below the average rate. And since 2016-17, he's scored two goals from, from 68 attempts. So uh, there's something to say that he has done a lot of work and a lot of analysis of his own game to kind of move into positions and be able to keep his goal scoring rate pretty high but his kind of knuckleball technique that he uses from free kicks seemingly has not really paid off in, in the last couple of seasons and Michael correct me if I'm wrong but did you do some work or a piece last year maybe on kind of free kick techniques and knuckleballs it seems to ring a bell yeah I did it was uh, yeah quite a big in-depth investigation about how many free kicks are scored and the answer is uh, not many unless you're James Ward-Prowse so yeah I mean this is going off on a slight tangent but I like the fact that Ward-Prowse has become so renowned from free kicks because he does do the kind of what I consider to be the right way to score from free kicks, which is the Beckham style whip rather than the Ronaldo knuckleball, which is the kind of way that, for example, Marcus Rashford takes free kicks, which a bit like Ronaldo does lead to a couple of incredible goals, but also leads to an incredible number that sell over the crossbar. So yeah, I mean, Ronaldo is the poster boy for that very literally. People try to copy him because of the great ones, but his, his rate, as you say, Tom, is is quite significantly lower than the average. It's not all about goals though, Ronaldo's game, or it hasn't always been all about goals. Anyway, Michael, I can still remember those stepovers that you referenced earlier. Tell us about Ronaldo's dribbling over the years and how that's developed and changed. Yeah, so I guess this was maybe the category I found most interesting in terms of maybe disproving my expectations and proving the point that we ended up making. I mean, his his number of dribbles per game at Real Madrid declined pretty steadily from 
6.5 per game in his first season there when I think of him as a very speedy counter-attacker who played, I think, on the left of a 4-2-3-1 for a lot of the time. Uh, and that dropped from 6.5 to 2 by his final campaign there, nine years later. So I kind of thought that pattern would continue, but it hasn't. It's actually risen slightly. It's closer to 3 now than it is to 2, which is only a slight rise. We're only going back to the equivalent of what he was doing in about 2015. But yeah, that was one of the the categories that made me realise, okay, Ronaldo is not necessarily becoming the player that we all thought he would at Juventus. And, and by that, I mean, he's not just a pure number nine. He is dropping deep. He is linking play more. He is, yeah, dribbling past players more than he was in his last three seasons at Real Madrid. Tom, where historically and currently do, does Ronaldo sort of compare to dribblers in world football? Michael's mentioning kind of the 6.5 uh, take on uh, Real Madrid at the start and that's kind of similar to when Diego Jota plays as a centre forward or, or Mikel Antonio and now it's more similar to Rich Arlison or, or Jordan Ayu who are attempting around three um, three take-ons per 90 so different kind of players are I, I guess to some extent although Antonio and, and Jota are, are very kind of different players um, also but we actually some work that we did here again looking at, con- at similar players um, was kind of left on the cutting room floor but I thought it was, was quite interesting where we tried to um, group together the different the different metrics we had at our disposal and try and find from the Premier League since the start of last season who are the players that Ronaldo is most similar to and we had a lot of back and forth because obviously including goals Ronaldo's goal scoring record is so high I think that of the 14 seasons of data we had I think 10 of the most similar players in those seasons were Sergio Aguero and then the other was it was Gabriel Jesus just because it was so so skewed towards those goal scoring figures so that was, was something where we we also found he, he profiled a bit like Phil Foden or Riyad Mahrez and I I think that was picking up this kind of you know dribble volume but also scoring rate as well with with Mares. yeah that was just some some stuff that we did we tried it didn't really work out and I guess it shows that with some of these articles there's always more than uh, than you actually see on the site at times what about his general link play and, and the extent to which he's been involved in build-up play over the course of his career uh, how much has that changed from Real Madrid to Juventus and, and how much has it changed under the well now three managers that he's played under in Allegri and then Sarri and then Pirlo yeah this is a similar pattern to dribbling really um, his first season at Real Madrid he played 40 passes per game over 40 in fact and then there was a very steady decline until his penultimate campaign where he was involved in around 28 passes per game rose slightly in his last season but uh, but yeah close to the 29 mark and again I thought He'd get to Juventus, he'd come to Serie A, he'd plonk himself in the penalty box, other people would do the running, and he'd bang in the goals. But actually, his his number of passes per game was 34 in his season under Allegri, and then 37 in his season under Sarri, which puts him back at the rate he was uh, involved in in about 2011-12, 2012-13, that kind of period. So yeah, obviously he's played under three managers. I mean, Allegri, I'd say, was was uh, maybe didn't try to change his game too much. But then when Sarri came in, obviously Sarri likes longer periods of build-up play. The fact Ronaldo was playing more passes probably just says that he was playing in a Sarri side. But also he was coming deep. He was linking play more. He was involved in a few goals that were kind of strike partnership goals with one-twos. Um, and I just think he's become, uh, or he's playing a, a more selfless role than I expected. That's really interesting. So in development terms, Michael, it's it's a little unusual in the sense that I can understand why you went into it thinking that 
various numbers would drop as he got older in a way that we kind of expect for older players and especially older strikers. Uh, and that's not necessarily the case. It, it feels like from what you guys have said, if you were to cut his career into chunks and the different roles that he has played, it's sort of, it's not quite as obviously linear as you might expect it to be. I mean, firstly, very few players have had such a development in their game and in their roles, but it hasn't, it's not neat, is it? It's not like, ooh, pacey dribbling number seven, if you will, or winger, and then pure goal, uh, and then complete forward that does everything and scores goals, and then pure nine, pure poacher who only scores goals. It hasn't been that linear at all because of this move to Juventus and the, the different role that he's played. Yeah, I mean, you know, it goes back to what Tom said earlier, and obviously Tom is the, the proper data person more than me, but for me, when it comes to writing articles, usually I kind of have an idea. I see if the data supports it. If it does, that's maybe interesting to to do graphs for if it doesn't and there's no clear pattern you know m maybe it's not worth writing about but this was an article where it really did disprove what I expected and that was really interesting and obviously uh yeah I unashamedly and I'm, I'm happy to say that's what I found interesting about this article and that's what I found interesting about our conclusions. Do you think that it points to us as I guess as people we always have thoughts in our head of, of how players change over their careers and, and kind of Ali mentioned there about you know how you think there'll be a, a linear, linear change and you think you'd be able to, to see season on season such distinct and obvious changes but is that really the case or is it just like kind of the stories we have in our heads that make it easier to kind of think about? think about football and actually football is just so much more complex and there's so many more moving parts that the changes in players careers to these kind of newly defined roles isn't as I guess isn't as simple as uh, as it may seem in reality yeah I think you're right and I think there's probably an argument to be made as well that he might have become a bit too comfortable at Real Madrid you know when we talk about tactical things we always you know think about the systems that they play in and of course the the players physical capabilities which i guess is what we're talking about here in terms of ronaldo getting to his mid 30s and maybe slowing down a bit but i think it probably got to a point at real madrid where he he was comfortable he could just play in that system he could feed off benzema the whole side was built around him and maybe he went to juventus and he just there was something that revitalized him a little bit and and just made him keen to show that he was still you know a really exciting player as well as a very effective one Tom, it's almost like you're suggesting or hinting that our brains have these biases that we don't necessarily do uh, specifically or, or consciously, you know, maybe patterns of, of psychological behaviour that have been developed over centuries and centuries. And if that's true, then that's pretty big news, quite the scoop. And let's, you know, let's maybe delve more into that. Um, Michael, ultimately, we wanted to answer the question, what is Cristiano Ronaldo in 2020? The journey of getting there chucked up some really interesting stuff but I suppose just to finish what is his actual position do you think what position does Ronaldo play in 2020? Yeah it's a good question I mean he can play on the left of a three which is where Pirlo has spoken about using him and he can play up front uh, as part of a strike partnership often with Morata sometimes on his own if he needs to but I mean, it probably goes back to something I think we chatted about last week when we talked about unusual positions, that not every player has a set position. And I would say Ronaldo is a good example of this because Juventus will come across opponents playing in different ways this year. And sometimes Ronaldo will be better on the left and sometimes he'll be better up front. I think he tends to do roughly the same thing in either position. And I don't think it's a, a case of he does, you know, he plays like a winger on the left or he plays like a striker when he's through the middle. 
he will pretty much always drift in those inside left positions and do roughly the same thing. What I think is is interesting is that a little bit like at Real Madrid and certainly like with Portugal, Juventus do come to depend on Ronaldo a bit too much. And we saw that at the weekend because he was completely rested for the game against Benevento, which Juventus only drew one all. And they did lack a spark. And I think Juventus have... They've changed, I think, since maybe their peak under Allegri, where they were a very, very harmonious, cohesive side. They probably didn't really depend upon individuals, whereas now I really think they do, not just from Ronaldo. Um, you know, the pass at the weekend came from Chiesa. They got the, the breakthrough because Ronaldo wasn't playing. But obviously when he's playing, they do look to him to make the breakthrough. So I think it's it's almost a case of... It goes back to something I remember Gary Neville saying about Ronaldo at Manchester United, which was that he would decide his position. If he suspected, you know, the opposition left back was weak or their right centre back was weak, he would go up and play against them. And I think he has license to do that at Juventus. And the other players are probably... Um, willing or at least accustomed to kind of working around him. Ronaldo being rested, I think, is is a really interesting one and potentially a, a nice way to kind of bring this discussion to a close because it's one thing we didn't really mention a lot of throughout the piece, which is just that some of the effects that we've seen over the course of his career are just the, the natural um, the natural decline of a player who's ageing into his, his mid-30s at this point. I mean, I don't think there are many players who can, or even any really, who can really sustain the level of, of take-ons at such a high level. Maybe Iron Robin is, is one exception at such a, you know, an old footballing age relatively. Um, I think goal scoring again, you just, you do UGC from a, a data perspective, a, a general decline in goal scoring over the course of a player's career as they get older. Um, you do have some outliers. I mean, Zlatan is, I think he's still top of the goal scoring charts in in Syria and I think that um, you know to some extent he's just such a such an outlier that allows him to do that but uh, yeah it's it's interesting now that he's seemingly starting to to miss more games and and that was maybe one thing that yeah I think that is a section Michael you put in the messy piece around just his he was bulletproof in terms of the minutes he played over that time period and maybe we're starting to see more of uh, of a side of Ronaldo which we're not used to in terms of him having to be recharged, be rested uh, and be used a bit more sparingly um, than, than before. Maybe this is just slightly, you know, effects of, of, of him having COVID and, and, and things that follow on from that. But I just think it's, it's interesting to see where it happens from here because he's been someone who has played so much football up to this point and whether he actually is someone who, who can't sustain you know, two, three thousand minutes every season at the highest level from his mid thirties. An absolutely incredible football player and and a really, really interesting player development career arc, I suppose. Um, thank you so much, guys, for well, a for for gathering the data, for for sifting through it, uh, and for talking me through everything that it chucked up. That's been Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, done by the Zonal Marking Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I have. A reminder that there is uh, a written piece on this on site. That is What Kind of Player is 2020 Cristiano Ronaldo? A joint piece by Tom and Michael. And as discussed at the top of the show, both of them very busy on the athletic site at the moment. That is also where if you're a subscriber, you can listen to this podcast ad-free. So if you'd rather not hear the ads, Become a subscriber to The Athletic. Head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. You can get a subscription for £1 a month. You can listen to these pods ad-free. Of course, they're also free on all podcast platforms. And we hope that you'll join us again next week. So make sure you're subscribed. We'll be back with more on the Zonal Marking podcast brought to you by The Athletic. See you then.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.